Welcome to Season 3 of Composer Quest. I'm your composer host here in Minnesota, Charlie McCarran, and this show is all about the creative process behind songwriting and composing, with a dash of practical music business tips thrown in. My goal is to interview as many different kinds of music makers and music thinkers as I can. If this is your first episode, make sure to check out Season 1 and 2 at ComposerQuest.com or on iTunes or Stitcher. For this Season 3 premiere episode, we have a very special guest, the Emmy and Grammy-nominated composer Jeff Russo. Jeff's written music for a ton of TV shows recently. Hostages, Weeds, 50 Cent's Power, and so on. But today we focus on his most acclaimed scoring for the FX series Fargo. Jeff talks about how he wrote the Fargo soundtrack by developing it gradually over the 10-episode arc, like a long film score. Also in this episode, we talk about Jeff's upcoming show, CSI Cyber, and how he plans to make a score that's both electronic and emotion-driven. These crimes are taking place in the computer, so I have to figure out how to pull out the emotional aspect of that because in these procedural shows it's not a lot about the characters it's about the crime the crime is the central character and finally we talk a little bit about jeff's band tonic if you grew up in the 90s i'm sure you heard his guitar riffs before we get started with jeff's episode I have a special new patron announcement. Rob Waite has pledged a generous $3 per episode, which means he gets a personalized jingle, which I just finished up last night. I know Rob's a big video game soundtrack guy, and conveniently, I just happen to be learning how to make chiptune music. So here you go, Rob. Thanks again for becoming a patron, Rob. Stick around till the end of the episode and I'll break down how I made that chiptune jingle. If anyone else out there is interested in helping support the podcast by becoming a patron, visit patreon.com charlie. Any little bit you can donate would be much appreciated. If you join at the $1 per episode level, it's like you're buying me a box of frozen veggie burgers each month, 
which is how I sustain myself. Anyways, thanks for considering it. One last piece of news. We have our 11th composing quest coming up soon, which will be a way for you to test out your composing skills and submit your music to be performed live at a composer quest event. So stay tuned for that announcement episode. You can follow Composer Quest on Twitter or Facebook to get those updates. Or if you want to make sure you don't miss a Composing Quest announcement, go to composerquest.com slash mailing list to sign up for my email list. Now, let's get on to my talk with Jeff Russo. Jeff, thanks so much for being here on Composer Quest. My pleasure. So um, maybe we could uh, jump right into talking about your Fargo music. Um, I yeah, congrats on the Emmy nomination for that. Thank you. Thank you very much. Yeah, I was just checking out uh, the first three episodes. Anyways, really fantastic scoring. Thank you. I appreciate it. Yeah, it was. A, it's a lot of fun to do. You know, I have a. I get to write music that I wouldn't normally be able to write for television on on that show. Yeah. And I thought it was interesting what you said in one interview about how you think of the dialogue coming from your singer-songwriter background, uh-huh. thinking of the dialogue as the lyrics and the um your scoring as the back music. Yeah, the underscoring and yeah. yeah. Yeah, that's that's basically how I like to look at it. Um you know, it's really just about figuring out how to support the narrative. You know, that's the most important thing when when composing for visual media. You know, mm-hmm. and you said you wrote a lot of the themes before uh, you saw any picture. Yeah, them? I wrote like sixty percent of the main themes um, that you hear in the show before um, we had picture shot. I was writing. I was writing most of the music from reading scripts, and then as picture started to roll in, and I started seeing picture. Obviously, things change a little bit because as you w- are watching the narrative be different than what it was in my own head based on the score on the on the script. You know, you just start adjusting to what you see. So it was a lot of a lot of editing themes, rewriting themes. Sure, I heard in another interview also that you. Uh... You often got rough cuts that you were working with? Um, yeah. You know, I've worked a bunch with Noah, who's the creator and the showrunner and, and the writer. And he would send me, yeah, I mean, I was working to the picture all along the way, from the very first cut to the last cut. It's, it was really the only way to sort of make it work from a time perspective. Because there's not a lot of time in television. So with this kind of music, it really takes a lot of time to... to craft and 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 build from from nothing to you know a full 46 piece orchestra or whatever um so we really needed the time which meant that i had to be working to picture that was going to be constantly changing which was okay because i just would edit it as it was going and make it work Mm -hmm. yeah i'm really curious how your workflow is when you're notating things for the orchestra do you have well i i work in i work in pro tools um and use that as my sequencer. And at, when I'm done with a cue and it is ready to be sent to the copyist and orchestrator, I, I just send them all the MIDI and the audio that goes along with it, and they transpose that into onto paper cool. for the orchestra. 
Yeah. So how much are you involved in the recording session of the orchestra? Well, I, you know, the first session I went, we recorded in Prague. So I went to Prague for the first session. And then the second through the 10th, um, we did via Skype. So I'm, you know, I'm, it's as if I'm there listening as it goes down and making notes and changes and things as we're recording. But you, they didn't fly you out to Prague every week. <laughs> well, it was, you know, it, it was uh, that would have been very complicated. There's there just would not have been enough time in my schedule in order to write everything and travel, and it would just yeah. be ridiculous. Yeah, so, I don't know what I'm going to do for season two yet. I haven't really even attempted to make that decision. So sure, we'll see. Sure. Well, yeah, it's really fun hearing what you do with the orchestra, though. How does that? project differ from say other projects you've worked on it's the first television show that i've worked on with an orchestra an actual orchestra because you know television you don't usually use a big orchestra not a lot of television shows do so it's the first time i've done that but also in general it's just a different style of music than i i have been writing up until now um with television you know Mm mm-hmm it's it's way more cinematic and way more melodic than most of the other television I've been doing. noticed was interesting uh in the action scenes there at least in the beginning doesn't seem to be too much rhythmic intensity it's a lot of like very simple things going on and I, i feel like that's the that's sort of the the way we fashion the entire show um you know we let the action be the action and not try to make it more than it really is by adding drums and big things you know when it was necessary to do drums we did them you know and that was all you heard mm-hmm. just drums mm-hmm. and that was really just to accentuate a point as opposed to you know like trying to amp something up that wasn't already high tension and I, I i wanted to utilize the orchestra for what it's best at i think which is melodic in nature and thematic and grand and not necessarily like over the top sure yeah how do you develop themes throughout the whole season because i've run into that myself when i'm trying to compose music for a film even within like a feature film length i feel like one melody can get repetitive. But yeah, how do you have any tricks on that? No, I wouldn't say I have any tricks. I would say that, you know, a good melody shouldn't really ever get boring. You know, it's just a question of how you approach it. With Fargo, you know, there were some main melodies and then new melodies and themes had to be developed along the way. 
and retire old melodies and, and things as they started to be used, overused and too, used too much. But just being able to take a little bit of a nod to a, a melody that is part of the fabric of the score that you've created is, is a really great way to have that through line without it becoming too repetitive. You know, I, I, I nodded to the main theme melody more than people realize, I think. And, you know, there's modulation. There's a whole bunch of ways to sort of go back to a certain motif and not have it become rote. And the job, because it was a 10-episode arc, you know, really the job was to have the whole score develop over the 10 episodes. So if you watched all 10 episodes in a row, which some people do, it wouldn't sound like the same music was being used over and over and over again, which it wasn't. So you had to be able to make it not feel like it's changing too much, but change enough so when you get to the end, it sounds totally different than it did at the beginning. But you didn't notice it change over time. I think that's the the brilliance of, of really good film composers is the ability to do that, where you listen to something at the beginning, and if you listen to something at the beginning and at the end, right back to back, you'll notice that they have changed a lot, but it doesn't feel that way over the whole movie. And I, that's what I tried to do with, with Fargo and what I will again try to do with season two. Hmm. Yeah. We'll see. Huh. I'm going to try to make it feel the same, but have it be different. Like, so you go, oh, that sounds familiar to me, but it's not, it's not that same thing. Yeah. What are some specific music theory things that you might do? I, in... I do not know music theory. I'm self-taught, so oh, I know sure. nothing about music theory. I, I, I mean, I know what sounds good to my ears, and I know harmony, and I know how to make harmony, but I don't know what's right and wrong, which I think is, is it, I use that to my advantage. I don't, you know, I don't get stuck with rules like, oh, uh, you could never have an English horn do that. Nobody does that, you know. Well, I don't give a shit, <laughs> you know. I just use instruments in a, in a way that feel good or don't if they don't feel good i don't do it you know and i try it on i try things everywhere i try th you know different things with different instruments and different chord progressions and different notes and all of a sudden it's like oh that sounds weird but really good and you know i come to find out that really you shouldn't do that because there's like a you know there's a, a one half step note away and it's rubbing but it it sounded good to me so i'm going to do it um so i don't really have any I don't really use theory in my writing because sure. I mean, I, I do subconsciously, I'm sure, or unconsciously, yeah, you know, but I don't really know anything about it. Hey, that's that's right. I think a lot of people out there and a lot of people listen to my show are more started as songwriters as you did and uh, in rock bands. And kind of, mm. do you have any tips for people who maybe don't have the classical composition background but want to get into film scoring I mean, you know i i don't i don't know that i have any tips i i feel like you don't need to have a background in classical you don't need to have be classically trained in order to write music for an orchestra you just have to know what sounds good and what harmony is and 
how harmony relates to melody and how chords relate to melody and how and as a songwriter you kind of know because you know you're sitting with an acoustic guitar or piano or whatever and you're singing a song over these you know blocked chords out and it's like every time you do that you're creating another harmonic layer you know and that is it you can apply that same knowledge to writing that same melody for a violin supported by violas and cello and celli and, and basses and, you know, woodwinds and horns and all kinds of shit. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, um, little question about the, uh, industry. Do you think it's essential for someone to live out there in LA to get these kind of gigs? The bottom line is, Getting these kinds of gigs is all about who you know. People hire the people that they know and that they like and they want to work with because they know them. So for someone starting out living in Philadelphia, I would say your best bet is to find local people who make movies, people who are making a movie and editing it in Philadelphia because they're not going to hire you if they don't have you face to face no you know unless you're a known quantity unless you're john williams you know and yeah john williams can go live anywhere it doesn't matter dudes are who are are already at the point where they're super successful the people are just calling their agent saying we want yada yada they can live wherever but if when you're just getting started you you need to be in the mix you need to be going out and meeting people and talking to people about what you do and what you want to do in order to really get involved on that level yeah. So I think that, yeah, to start out, it is important to be where it's at. It doesn't have to be L.A. There's film made everywhere. Filmmakers in Philly, filmmakers in New York, filmmakers in Chicago, San Francisco. I mean, is it less likely that you'll meet somebody living in Oklahoma City? Probably. Probably less likely. But there are places where there are, are true like artistic communities where there's film being made and music being made and a lot of lot of stuff. So I, I would say it's it's just important to be in the mix, wherever that mix is. Yeah. Yeah, and the Twin Cities here has a good uh, filmmaking go. scene and it's not go. necessarily like they're gonna be major budget films, but Got to start somewhere. First thing I ever did was for a little, small, little short film that I did for free. And you do it to get the experience. You know, it's like you just do it. Mm-hmm. Doesn't matter. Big budgets. There are no big budgets anymore. And if there are, Hans Zimmer's doing them. <laughs> so forget it. How, how do you handle time management? Because I know I, I just seeing how much music you write for like mm-hmm. the show Hostages. I think you said 38 that's minutes how, for 42. This is, this is how. Oh, hi. <laughs> yeah. That's my, that's one of two assistants I have. Her name is Matea. And she helps me with time management and figure out I have to write this cue for this show and this cue for that show. And don't forget, this is happening here. Like, if I, if I didn't have somebody helping me manage that, it would be a lot more difficult working on multiple things. Yeah if we can't afford an assistant yet and she's cute too (laughs) um if you can't afford an assistant somebody's girlfriend usually helps work um iphones siri 
Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, she can remind you to do stuff or don't try to do too much. Do what you can manage. Again, in, in terms of time management, obviously, I, I keep a running tally in my head of what I have to get done and when. I'm very lucky that I, I can afford to have an assistant help me with that so I can focus on the more important task, which is writing music. Um, there's always that like managerial and little menial tasks that need to get done, um, and you just do them. Mm-hmm. The fact is, if you don't get them done and you're not good with time management, you're fired especially in television. If you're not good with time management and you don't get it done in a timely manner and get it done well in a timely manner, you're fired. <laughs> that's really that's that's the bottom line. And there's nothing like the threat of being fired to keep you in line. <laughs> you know? Yeah. So how have you gotten more efficient at writing like under time crunches? You know, I think that that's just literally a, a product of experience. Like, the more you write, the more you do, the better you'll get and the faster you'll get. I really believe that. You know, with television, there's not a lot of time. So your first idea is usually your only idea. So it better be your best idea, you know, because you don't have time to go back and be like, ah, you know what? I think I want to do that again. Maybe in a different key. You know, <laughs> you just don't have time for that. Um so if there's something that I'm not sure of, I'll just finish it and know that it's going to come back to me in a set of notes because that's the only time I have to fix anything is when I get notes sure, from producers or director or whatever. So unlike a movie in television, there's usually like one round, maybe two rounds of notes, and then you're at the mix stage and then you're on the air. So, you know, there's not a lot of time to deal with that. Sure. What's your process like for when you're spotting a film or TV show? It's different for every project, you know. Um, when I did Hostages, I was actually co-composing Hostages with my buddy Ben. So it would just be me, Ben, and our music editor, Sky, spotting it by ourselves, no producers. Um, with Fargo, we never really did a proper spot. We'd watch the show or the cut, probably like first or second cut, and then... Me and Noah would talk about like, oh, yeah, maybe this music can go here. He'd be like, I really want music to go here, so let's just put something there. And then I would go back to my studio with it, and magically it would happen. Cool. There's a lot of magic involved. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) Uh It's also an honor talking with you because I grew up hearing your music in tonic. Thank you. Yeah. A lot of fun. So, um, one song in particular I like is uh, You Wanted More. And cool. something, listening back to that, it's kind of interesting because like, the intro and first verse, it's really kind of mm-hmm. hard to tell like what key it's in even. I don't know. It's kind of a just a unique style. Can you think back to how that song came about? 
Oh, uh, you know, Emerson, who's the singer, me and Dan were all in a rehearsal space, and I think I started playing a riff. Emerson was like, oh, go to here. And Dan started playing another riff, and we just sort of all put it together, and all of a sudden there was this song. Um, and then at some point, we were like, oh, we need a bridge. So I was like strumming along, and I was like, oh, what about this? And then Emerson said, oh, change this chord here. And, you know, it was just it's one of those that in particular of all of our songs was one of the most collaborative efforts for the band, which is interesting that you bring that song up because it is one of my favorite uh, tonic songs because it's sort of a mix of everything. It's got a really nice chorus and it has a really good guitar riff and there's a really nice middle eight and it sort of shows off all of the things that I think are the best thing about the band, which is it's a rock band and we have this rock guitar root thing and then there's this big melodic chorus have you ever tried to dissect like how your huge hits like got huge and anything like in the songwriting and well, I have never tried to dissect it, no, because none of that matters. The only thing that matters is when you listen to it, does it sound good? Do I feel something when I hear that song? And that's it. There's no, oh, but the chorus goes from this one thing to this other thing, and the couplet at the end is really what makes it really memorable. The, doing that is just an exercise in futility. You know, it's just like... Who gives a rat's ass? Do you shake your ass when the song plays? And if the answer is yes, then you're like, oh, I must be onto something. You know, it doesn't matter how good you are. All that matters is, are you connecting? And, you know, we've had songs that have connected with a lot of people and that we're very fortunate to have connected with so many people on perhaps a topic that people care about, mostly love and unrequited love and the loss of love and the because that's a universal theme everybody feels bad when they lose love they feel great when they get love they're always wanting to find love they never want to be without love you know like those are all universal themes the fact that we seem to write songs that are very personal in nature all go back down to that one basic theme you know and i feel like that's really what all music is about. I'm getting all like all hey, schmaltzy now, that's... Uh, but it's it's very true. It it really feels true to me that no matter what you're doing, you're really writing about emotion. And if you don't come from that place, then you have very mechanical sounding music. And some people like that. I'm not a big fan of that sound of music that has no soul. You know? Yeah. Yeah. No. It's. It's sometimes tough, I think, when you get into, like, maybe the first time you write something, you have that emotional drive. But then if it doesn't all come out at once, and you have to keep revising and revising, I feel like that's sometimes when you stumble. Do you have any thoughts on, like, when you do get stuck writing a song? When writing a song... I can go out with my buddies to the bar and grab a tequila 
and sort of try to lubricate myself that way and like sort of try to just ease into it, you know, but that's a different vibe than when I'm sitting here writing score. If I come up to a point where I don't know what I'm going to do, like I have a block, I literally have to write my way through it. So I just start writing and maybe it's garbage, but I got to write through it and then I can go back and sort of edit it into something that I think is good. And I've done that on a number of occasions where you, know, you just don't know what to do. So you just uh, start with a chord and see where that goes. And maybe it goes to another shit chord. But at some point, you're just going to continue and then you go back and you fix it. Then you go back and just keep doing that. Like in television and, and to a lesser extent film, but certainly mostly in television, like when you have a block, you can't have a block. So don't have a block. Write right through it. With writing a song, it's a little different. Like, you can just sort of hang it up. Go outside, go have a beer, go have a smoke, go whatever it is you do. And then relax, go home, go to sleep, wake up. It's the next day and nobody really cares. You know, it's really all about when I want to be done with the song. Um, so it's a, different, it's a different animal altogether. And, and dealing with a block on that level is, is a lot easier, I think. Mm-hmm. What would you say is your favorite song of yours? I don't know. Um, there's a song on our second record called Love a Diamond that we wrote that I really love. It keeps it warm it Under the pages Are there some projects you'd want to talk about that you're currently working on? Well, I'm currently about to start a new show called CSI Cyber, which is the new CSI spinoff. I'm actually going to be co-composing that show again with my buddy who did Hostages with me. I'm starting on another show at the same time for USA Network called Complications, which is a really interesting take on a man who's a doctor who ends up saving this kid who gets caught up in the middle of a gang war and he saves his life and then is tasked basically with protecting him for the rest of the 10 episodes. Then I'm starting back on another show I do called Power, which is for Stars Network, um, produced by 50 Cent, which is a lot of fun because that's a little bit more urban feeling and it's kind of a fun show to do. And then of course I'm back on Fargo and starting Fargo again. So it's going to be a pretty busy fall. Yeah. CSI Cyber, how are you going to approach that one, do you think? I feel like it is going to be what you – I think what you think it's going to be, which is a more electronic-sounding score. Yet I feel very tied to writing emotionally-based music. So there's going to have to be a melody in there somewhere. It can't just be – it can't just be all that. You know, There can be an element of that, but – there has to be some thematic melody tying it all together. So yesterday I was writing a piece and you know, I was just messing around with the piano and all of a sudden there was a melody on top of this more electronic sounding filter, very super filtered sounding music. And all of a sudden I was, it went from being just sort of ah eh, to being like, oh, okay, now it's a cue. Now I hear the music. You know, To me, I can build a track and build a track and build a track and it's never a cue until 
that last thing you put on it, which is maybe it's the melody or maybe it's that one harmonic thing that happens with the melody and all of a sudden you sit back and you go, oh yeah, there it is. Um, but that, I think that's what's happening with CSI. Like it's, it's a procedural, but it takes place in a world that isn't actually a world, right? So it's like these crimes are taking place in the computer. So I have to figure out how to pull out the emotional aspect of that. You know, how, where do I find the emotional content there? Because in these procedural shows, it's not a lot about the characters. It's about the crime, the crime is the central character. So I like to find the way to pull the characters into it emotionally, even though they don't necessarily have an emotional connection to the story. I mean, unless that's what the story of the week is. But nine times out of ten, they stay away from that emotional background of the characters and let them just do the thing that they do. I like to sort of tie the whole thing together and sort of where's the through line, where's the thread between who this person is who's solving this crime and what it means to this person to be a part of it, you know? Yeah, yeah. How do you decide where there should be music and where there should be silence you know, and that kind of... Most of the time, that's a collaborative effort between me and music editor and producers. You know, some shows, it's okay. Like Fargo, there was a lot of silence, and that was a very important part of the show. Um, with a show like CSI, I'm not expecting there to be a lot of silence because it's a network procedural show that, you know, it, part of that thing is music that helps keep the story going along. So it'll be a conversation that I have with uh, producers and director and music supervisor and music editor. Sure, sure. When you're working on CSI, where do you get the synth sounds that you're going to be using? You know, you think? that's not a that's a that's a trade secret, my friend. I can't tell <laughs> oh. you. <laughs> you know, it, it, there's a gazillion. I mean, there's a literally a gazillion synthesizers out there. There's there's a gazillion sample libraries. There's a gazillion ways to do it. And I think the the thing is, like, I try really hard to inject something live into every one of my scores, something real, not just in my computer, because that just gets a little old. Anybody can have all these sample libraries. You can go out and buy all the sample libraries I have. So how do I make it different? You know, how do I not sound like just whatever, like in the box? So you can try to either totally edit or totally mess with a sound, or I play a guitar and turn around backwards, or I play bass, or I go and play my drum kit, or something that will help set the score apart from everything else that you hear on TV. Yeah. 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 No. What you're saying too about like it doesn't feel f finished until you add that one last little thing. I can kind of relate to that cuz I feel like sometimes when I'm working you'll have everything and you've listened to it so many times but then you have that one little it could be just a note like you're saying that stands out and that's that makes it all worth it. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I don't know. Well, Jeff, it's been a pleasure having you on Composer Quest here. Thanks, man. I appreciate it. Really great talking to you. Yeah, likewise. We'll see you. All right, bye-bye. Thanks for joining me for this episode of Composer Quest with Jeff Russo. You can check out all his music at jeffrusso.com, and his last name is spelled R-U-S-S-O. 
and there you'll find a link to buy the Fargo soundtrack. Tonic's website is tonic-online.com. And special thanks to Jana Davidoff at CW3PR for setting up my interview with Jeff. Now, as promised, I'll explain how I created the Rob Waite chiptune jingle. Since I'm getting more into writing video game music, and since a lot of game developers are looking for old-school chiptune synth sounds, I thought I should learn the authentic way to make them, by using a music tracker. Now, a music tracker, for those of you who don't know, is a way to sequence music that's more like computer code than using a modern music sequencer. Instead of seeing waveforms, you have a scrolling list of the notes like A4 and C-sharp 3, along with numbers representing their volume, effects, etc. It's kind of intimidating at first glance. I thought I'd give it a shot though, so I downloaded a free tracker called Milky Tracker that works on my Mac, And I got really excited about it after watching a bunch of tutorials and seeing that it wasn't as daunting as I thought. But then I tried making a song, and it seemed painfully tedious. It felt really clunky when I tried my normal method of composing and recording on the fly, like I do in Ableton Live. I decided I would probably give up. It wasn't worth my time. But after a little break, my perspective started to shift. I realized my tracker experience would be much better if I had the melodies and chords fleshed out in my head before I start typing in note after note. You can kind of think of it like pixel art. If you were drawing pixel by pixel without an idea of the final drawing, it might eventually turn into something cool and unexpected, but it would be much quicker and probably more satisfying if you can imagine the whole picture before you start. Also, for your first attempt at pixel art, you'd probably do a tiny avatar or a sprite, not a huge pixel art version of the Mona Lisa. That's another reason I think I got discouraged right away. I was trying to make a musical masterpiece when I should have approached my first chiptune song like drawing a tiny picture. I also thought I needed to start with a huge musical color palette by creating some intricate sample sounds. But again, thinking about the importance of constraints in art... I realized I should just see what I can do with the basic chiptune sounds. Sine wave, triangle wave, square wave, sawtooth wave, and noise. So for my second attempt at creating a chiptune track, I waited until a melody popped into my head. Then I recorded a simple demo of it with me singing the melody and playing the bass line on piano. Rob Waite, computer engineer by trade Plays a lot of video games Just to hear the soundtracks From there I started entering the notes one by one in Milky Tracker. First, I created a quick bass sound, which is basically a sine wave, but I hand drew this wave shape so that it would have a little more grit. I figured that sound would work for the melody part, too. The drums are just pink noise samples played at different frequencies to get a slightly different sound for the kick, snare, and hi-hats. I listened back to what I had so far, 
and I started hearing a counter melody, which I added with a triangle wave. To give the ends of my phrases some life, I added a solo part with a crunchy synth. I just hit random notes in the key of G, then went back and edited a few of them. For the climax of the song, I wanted to fill out the high end and low end with a gentle high pitch pad and a low grungy bass synth. Chiptune song was basically complete, but now I needed to add the lyrics. So I had to figure out how to add my vocals without it sounding too tacked on to this otherwise authentic chiptune production. I decided the best way would be to use a vocoder effect in Ableton Live and feed in a simple sound tooth wave as the carrier sound. If you don't know how vocoders work, you're basically filtering one sound with another sound's frequency spectrum. So my voice, completely filtered through a sawtooth wave, sounds like this. Sounds cool, but the issue is that the lyrics are hard to understand, especially with the background music going. So I turned the vocoder effect down to about half strength, so my original vocal recording pops through with the consonants when they're needed for clarity. Now the vocals work much better in the mix. If you have questions about anything I mentioned in this music production lesson, feel free to email me, charlie at composerquest.com. So thanks for listening to this episode. I hope you're also getting really excited for season three. There will be some fun episodes coming up, including the special 100th Composer Quest episode. Stay tuned, and until next time, happy composing. <laughs>